Get the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music guide you through the opaque world of venture capital and reveal all the ways you can source capital for your company's growth. It all starts right here with Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music on VC Confidential. Welcome to VC Confidential. I'm Ann Kennedy, and I'm here with my co-host and partner at Outlines Venture Group, Jillian Music. Together, we are managing directors of the Sibylla Masters Fund. You can learn more about that at masters.vc. This show, folks, is for investors and entrepreneurs alike. We are ripping that opaque lid off conventional venture capital and to show you how it works. And there you have it. So, hi, Jillian. Hi, Anne. What should we talk about today? Well, Jillian, in our previous podcast, CEO Coach, which I'd like to point out is uh, remains available on WMR.FM, we used to counsel our listeners to tend to financial, among other goals, and planning in the beginning of the year. Today, let's talk about how VCs plan out their funds so investors and entrepreneurs can clearly understand how a fund is constructed. For entrepreneurs, we'll illuminate where their companies fit into a portfolio or perhaps why they do not fit. And for investors, we'll illuminate how conventional venture capital works, which in turn will reveal why new private equity investment models are emerging and how they improve the potential for ROI for investors. Yes, and they actually improve an awful lot for entrepreneurs, too. Now, that's a tall order without a whiteboard, Anne, but I think we're up to the task. So uh, we have a lot of excellent articles for our listeners to refer to at their leisure. We can put them, you know, on our LinkedIn page, all of those links. So just search for Outlines Venture Group in LinkedIn, folks. All our reference links will be in there for you. Okay, then. Let's start, as usual, with a definition of what we're talking about. What exactly is a portfolio construction model? I'll take a stab at that. Briefly put, a portfolio construction model is a method of determining whether and how a venture capital fund is going to make enough money to return a reasonable ROI, that is a return on investment folks, to its investors and cover the costs of doing business in the mix. Mm -hmm. Well, that about sums it up. Uh, now, since we don't have a whiteboard to write out all the elements that will come into play, here's a list of what we'll be covering as we develop a sample scenario on which conventional venture capital funds base their fund construction. We're going to talk about all these elements and how they fit together to create a functioning fund. Before you list those items out, I'd like to point out that Elizabeth Yin wrote three excellent articles on the subject and a lot of information today that we're going to talk about is covered in those articles. We'll mm -hmm. put links to all three on our LinkedIn page, as Jillian noted. Okay, Jillian, have at it. Give us a list. What goes into creating a functional, functioning VC construction model? All right, drum roll, please. All right, the stage <laughs> of the fund, the size of the fund, the number of companies that will receive the investment, that's different than the size, that talks about money, the timeline, in other words, the length of years that the fund will run, and some fund costs and fees, and then there's a little bit more about dilution. Aha, okay. Jillian, begin with the stage of the fund. What does that mean, and how does the size of the fund affect the construction model? Well, 
private equity refers to a wide variety of investments. So any investment in a company that's not listed on public stock exchange is a private investment. Our little corner of that market is venture capital, and that breaks down into segments itself from pre-seed venture funds, uh, venture capital funds, to massive late stage and then private equity investment funds. Each one of them has a different focus and a different role to play and different market forces acting on them. And each must develop a fund construction model that serves their time, place, function, and role in the private sector investment market. So today we're going to focus on pre-seed, seed, and series A, mostly the series A really. Um, the conventional venture capital funds that we all think about uh, when we say venture capital or VC, right, are series A funds. Now, and as you noted, Elizabeth Yin clearly laid out these, you know, fund, uh, how each of such funds think about companies to invest and how much to invest and how these investments play out over a lifetime of the fund. So I'm going to use Elizabeth's example here just because it's brilliantly simple. Let's assume that once I'm running a small million dollar stage technology companies will yield a happy exit. The others will fail or fail to return an ROI to the fund. I have to stop you right there, Jillian. One out of 10 being a winner may be the conventional expectation, but it's simply not a reality. To be clear, that figure is not borne out by massive volumes of research over hundreds of funds over decades of reporting, including by our own CFO at Masters Fund, Carly Price. Yeah. With a lifetime career in equities, portfolio construction and management, Carly is now the director of finance at the resort municipality of Whistler, British Columbia, Canada. What a lifetime lifestyle <laughs> job, if ever I heard of one. Well, if you love to ski, you know, putting it yeah. together makes sense. Right. But anyway, she did spend a lifetime in the markets. Yes. Yes, she spent. And she spent months on primary research and analysis on private equity funds and garnered data from scores of other studies. So. The unvarnished truth is that not quite 4% of all venture funded companies will have a happy exit. Not 10% will be unicorn size winners. Less than 4% of companies funded by VCs at the Series A stage will become unicorns. Plenty more companies will receive angel funding and never get any further than that. So once funded at the Series A stage, 80% of conventional VC funded companies will die, not 90%. But the balance of the 16%, you know, 80% die and almost 4% succeed, are companies that continue to operate but do not sell or hold an IPO. Now let's review. The only way VC investors get their money back and any ROI is through the sale or IPO of the portfolio company. In extremely rare cases, a portion of stock in a privately held company may be sold to another interested party before that company goes public, but such instances are so rare that they don't register as statistically significant. So folks, the truth. Eight out of 10 companies will fail. A little less than 4% of companies will have success. Now let's do that math. Of the remaining two companies in a 10 company portfolio that don't die, 1.6 will not exit. So less than one half of one company per fund will have a good exit. 
So that's a little bit of funny math there, you know, voodoo math. <laughs> a fund does not make money on less than one half of one company. Just yes, well, it. that's right. You have to extrapolate it to the whole. But the numbers are both sobering and true. So here's the rest of that math. If 10% of every 10 portfolio company fund does not have a single happy exit, what's the ROI to investors? Well, the Kaufman Foundation reports and has repeatedly reported for some years now that about 51% of conventional venture capital funds return nothing to their investors. Now that's sobering. And Carly reports that the average returns for early stage investors in private equity is really about 8 to 12% and many of them are below 0%. In other words, many, many of them lose their invested capital and earn nothing. But of those who do earn something, 8 to 12 is the best you're hoping for. In other words, returns do not exceed the public market averages. Carly says, and I quote, the myth of 22 to 30 percent year over year returns touted by angel and early stage funds is simply not a reality. The actual returns to investors are nowhere near that good. If you see 12 or 13 percent, you're doing really well. Now, all that said, funds are not restricted to investing in 10 companies, of course, but the fund must have enough capital to make significant enough investments in, say, 20 companies if it's going to do so, and enough to make follow-on investments in some of those companies. So we'll talk about dilution and follow-on rights and their effect on the portfolio construction later, but right now, Many investors do have different schools of thoughts on this. Accelerator portfolio managers and micro fund managers, for example, believe in the very large portfolio construction theory, a little money over many, many, many companies. The downside there, of course, lies in that dilution, and we'll get to that effect later on. So before we break for the sponsors, Anne, I'd like to run through the basics of a portfolio construction based on a seed stage venture fund. The vast majority of those aforementioned funds are in this category, by the way. And um, let's say they have about 10 portfolio companies because it helps us with the math as we talk about it simply. Let's start with the million dollar fund as Elizabeth used in her posted example. In this scenario, we spread $1 million evenly over 10 investments, 100,000 a pop. Let's say we do well in all of our investments. Okay, oh, so we do well in our investments rather, not all of them, right? In that case, eight out of 10 of our portfolio companies are going to fail. One will continue to operate but not sell or have an IPO, and hence it also returns nothing to the fund. The 10th company returns something to the fund, and herein lie the critical calculations. In scenario number one, we do pretty well. We've beaten the odds. We have a winner. We purchase stock in winner company for a buck, and at the valuation was 10 million at the time. Now the company exits at 100 mil, and the founders are thrilled. It's a 10x multiple on our investment. Well, let's say we've experienced no dilution whatsoever in the investment, very unlikely scenario, by the way, and with no dilution, our shares of stock are now worth 10 bucks. Our 100,000 is now worth a million, and our winner company stock has returned the entire fund. This is known as 1x, the same that has invested, uh, you know, excuse me, the same money that was invested across all the companies in the portfolio has been returned by one company. Now, let's say we're doing amazingly well. Two of our portfolio companies are in 10x. Our million buck fund is now earned 2 million. We've doubled the investment money across the fund. But both those scenario earnings are gross earnings. 
after the break, we're going to have to take a look at the costs of running a fund. And with that, we're going to take a break now for our sponsors, and we'll be right back with some insights into the world of venture capital on VC Confidential. More ways you can source capital for your company's growth on VC Confidential is coming up. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one training a weekly podcast for you or your company, distribution to almost every podcast portal, an embeddable player for your website, an ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts, and much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential, only on wmr.fm. Welcome back to VC Confidential. I'm Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music talking about what you as an investor, advisor, or entrepreneur need to know about venture capital. Before the break, we opened the conversation about profitable portfolio construction, or not. You know. uh, Jillian, well, it's you, hard to get there. Yeah, you laid yeah. out two scenarios and wound up with gross earnings from which the fund takes expenses. Let's go back to that. Okay, so in the first scenario, we returned the money to the fund, but then you didn't earn anything. You just got your money back, right? In the second one, we doubled it. Pretty darn good. But everything we looked at was gross. None of the costs associated were in there. So let's take a look at the costs of running a fund. This is known as the 2 and 20% cost structure. 2% of all investment funds are used to operate the fund. This sum pays the salaries of the general partners, any office space, rentals, travel, marketing to raise the capital or draw in high potential portfolio companies. It it does not, by the way, pay legal or accounting costs. These costs are charged in addition to the fund, in addition to that 2%. And generally, one can count on an additional 3% for those costs for a total of 5% of invested capital per annum being used to manage the fund. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. But over a standard 10-year period, this amounts to 50% of the invested capital, which is used to operate the fund. That capital is not invested. Okay, that bears repeating and unpacking. 5% per year on the total sum invested in a fund is used to operate the fund, even though investors may not put the entire amount of their committed capital, and, and they may not put it in until the end of, say, the second or third year, yeah. this percentage comes off the total sum committed. So in a $1 million fund, 500000 is used over 10 years to operate the fund and 500000 is invested in portfolio companies. That means in order to get to that scenario you laid out a few minutes ago that showed one that one portfolio company could return the entire fund's capital with a single 10x 
exit is actually not so. Exactly. <laughs> we would need one company to exit at a minimum 20x to get the fund's original investment returned. The rest of that capital was used to operate the fund. Bingo. And we're just beginning to see the costs of running funds. First off, if the fund is small, say a million buck fund, which is actually, you know, reasonably common, um, the general partners, that's you and me, Anne, right? We're receiving very little, if any, real salary for work in managing and operating such a fund of only a million bucks. 2% of a million bucks is only $200,000. If we spent no money on the fund at all, and uh, we, you know, all we took of that was uh, salary, we'd each be earning 100,000 bucks. Well, at this stage, of our career, that's pretty paltry for any fund manager. But that is not the reality. A fund's GP is a company, not individuals. The company hires the individuals, like you and me, right, to run the fund. Those individuals are managing partners or managing directors, and sometimes on their business cards, they're even called general partners. But the reality is that the costs of formation, registration, operation of this GP company come out of that 2%. Then there are legal and accounting costs for that GP company, and there are more, right? Hardware, software, subscriptions to things like PitchBook that run thousands of dollars a year, other financial news subscriptions, access phones, tickets, travel costs, well, less of that these days, but, you know, that won't last forever either. So it goes on and on. Every time we take a potential investor to lunch, that's a cost for the GP company. And again, not so much in COVID days, but again, it will change in the future. Bottom line, about 25% of the 2% paid to the GPs goes to run that business. This just goes on and on. Now, as I said, there was a total of 5% or 3% more that would be in the operations cost of a fund, 2% to the general partners and 3% going on to operate the fund itself. Now, just as the GP company has expenses, so does the fund company have expenses. There may be an office or several. There may be legal and accounting and staff and utilities and travel and outside consultant experts that are used during due diligence. All of these are costs to the fund. Now, the GP may make the buying decisions, but the charges, the costs are charged to the fund. So funds pay about 5% per year on the total sum of funds, whether investors have put that money in yet or not. Now, as for the GPs, they get to split about, I don't know, 150,000 or so, maybe, right? 75,000 each, right? It gets less and less over time. It's not a king's ransom. Now, we've arrived at the following portfolio construction realities for conventional venture capital. If you have a portfolio with 10 companies on a million dollar fund, you will actually invest only 500,000 the balance will be used to write a fund uh, to to run the fund on larger fund these same percentages will hold true even the billion dollar funds about 5% per annum is used to operate what is obviously a fairly good sized corporate entity and often has global operations in our example fund size of a million bucks if one of your portfolio companies has a 10x exit it returns about half a million to the fund, not one million. You'll need two of them to return a 10x exit or even one of them at a 20x or better exit in order to see a million bucks back in the fund. If you achieve this, and more than half of all conventional VCs do not achieve this bench benchmark, remember Kaufman, right? Your invested capital will still have earned nothing over about 10 years. And so again, more than that's needed. Yeah. I inject a bit of reality here. 
funds are regularly extending their lifespans to accommodate for ever longer path to sale or IPO. The average unicorn exits in 11 to 16 years. Dropbox went public after 15 years, for example. The days of three to five year exits are long past. Yes, <laughs> sigh indeed. Okay, so fund economics for conventional venture capital firms are not looking go so good for investors, and You really have to shoot for the stars. And that, as Elizabeth Ying points out, is why they shoot for the unicorn. It must be well over things like 20, 30, 40 uh, times the investment to make it worthwhile. They have to shoot for the 100x. So there must be a better way, which is why our fund, Master's Fund, operates in a very different fashion. Yeah, yeah, and indeed, and we'll get to that. But before we talk about investment, uh, before we talk about that, let's talk about investment dilution, and let's put our example fund's investment results into perspective. That means I'm going to talk about the cost of money. And I get real hot under the collar about this issue. So many people completely disregard the cost of capital when determining the value of a purchase or even an investment. Yeah, let's define the cost of capital for our audience, Jillian, so they don't make that mistake again. Uh, glad to. Okay. So the cost of capital is the delta or the difference between the money that you might have earned on that capital that you're about to use for a purchase or investment if you did not make that purchase or investment. My favorite example, by the way, is timeshare. What would you do with the money if you didn't invest it in that? Okay. So we'll figure that out later. Now, in other words, what could you have done with the money? How much could it have earned? What are the relative risks of each investment? Um, if you're comparing two investments, of course you want to do that. If you invest a million bucks in a conventional venture capital fund, investing at the Series A stage, you have slightly less than a 4% chance of seeing an outsized return from any one of their companies, which is 100X or better. And you'll do that in 11 to 16 years. So say, I don't know, 14 years for talking purposes. If you invest in the public equities market, the stock market, you have some manager diversify your portfolio, invest with a medium risk tolerance, a kind of middle of the road stuff all around. The rule of thumb there is that you can double your money in about 7.2 years. It's the rule of 72, look it up. Assuming that the public markets, of course, perform pretty much as they did between say about 1990 or 91 and 2017 or 18. That's a fair swath of time. So it's actually a reasonable assumption. Can you double your money in less than seven years by investing in a conventional VC fund is really your question. The answer is not very likely, not very likely at all. Hence, high risk. Remember the 51% of all the VC funds will return nothing. You'll lose all of that capital. And it's possible to lose all your capital in public markets as well. But if your investment manager has even a modicum of capability, they're gonna pull you out of stocks that are underperforming and at least save you some of your initial investment. Even in super tough markets like 2008, 2009, it took only four years before the market had climbed right back to its original values and grew from there. Right. So again, unless you absolutely need the capital at the lowest nadir, you're going to be okay. And it is far more liquid than a private equity market. Okay. So first you need two cycles of the seven years, about 14 to get likely get the returns from a conventional venture fund. The 10 years is really an aggressive goal. Therefore, 
you're going to need to double your money twice. One million must become two, and two million must become four over that same period of time. Now, assume that you're in a fund that doesn't have 10 duds out of 10 or 20 out of 20 and so on, right? Assume that your fund has a 20x ROI over the life of the fund, over all of its investments, small and large wins and losses combined. That 20x is based on half a million dollars invested, the balance going to cost of the fund for a gross return to you of 10 million in about 14 years. Hmm, seems pretty good. Yeah, it does, but here's the rub. Next up, we need to talk about dilution. That throws a monkey wrench into the mix, Jillian. Let's take yes. a break and come back to that. We we'll take a break now for our sponsors. You are listening to VC Confidential, and we will be right back. More ways you can source capital for your company's growth on VC Confidential is coming up. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential only on WMR.FM. Welcome back to VC Confidential. We are so glad you joined us. Today, Jillian and I are talking about profitable portfolio construction. Before the break, we talked about how much money funds are really making or not. And one topic we need to discuss in order to cover this fully is dilution. Take it away, Jillian. Yes. So in general, future investments will dilute a Series A investment about 5 to 15% of ownership, unless the fund can afford to purchase additional stock in later rounds, which comes, by the way, of what is known as follow-on rights. To exercise follow-on investment rights, investors and funds included must be able to afford the stock at the price of the later rounds. If the company's valuation is skyrocketing, it's unlikely that the smaller funds or individuals can afford to exercise their follow-on rights to any great advantage. Hence, we look at dilution of the investment in all but the last round before going public on the unicorn successes. A more modest sale of a company may enable earlier investors to take a bit more stock and profits before the end game. But remember, while you may get the right to purchase stock at later rounds, you generally don't get a discount on the later round stock. So your profits will be the delta of the later round cost of stock and the price of sale uh, of the company when it happens, right? now. Assuming that your investment has been diluted by about 10%, you must account for that in your profits as well. And with that, in our last few minutes, let's lay out the fund construction principles of a structured equity fund like Master's Fund, uh, which is designed to mitigate much of the risk associated with conventional venture capital funds and increase the likelihood of success for investors on every level. Absolutely. And we're not the only ones doing it, but we are a very small handful of emerging venture capital funds that are looking to um, kind of remunerate uh, investors in different ways. So conventional venture capitalists ask, can this company become a unicorn? Because they must 
focus on massive exits to return a reasonable ROI to investors. Structured equity venture capitalists ask, can this company return an IOR, excuse me, an ROI <laughs> that is commensurate with the risk of the asset class in a reasonable period of time? So we focus on earlier, steadier returns, and we do so by focusing on preset multiples. In other words, the company does not need to exit. It does not need to sell or have an IPO in order to return capital to the fund. It must merely be able to grow sufficiently using our dry powder capital, right? Grow sufficiently that it can redeem its stock. So we invest in something called redeemable preferred. They must redeem the stock from the fund at a preset multiple. And generally that runs between about, I don't know, three and four, maybe even two and five on the outsides, depending on the amount of time the company needs to use that capital and the risk involved in returning that capital to the fund. We can massively mitigate the risk of a conventional fund and bring this to the investment capabilities of a much broader group of people in their portfolios by doing so. And in to boot, the entrepreneurs get to redeem their capital for those very early stage investments at seed or series A when it costs them the most to get that capital. And with that, that's a wrap for this episode of VC Confidential. We invite you to join us each Tuesday for a new episode as we take a deep dive into the opaque world of venture capital and share learnings and ideas on the inner workings of the shrouded corner of business finance known as venture capital. We'd like to thank our producers at WMR.FM who graciously hosted our previous CEO coach show for more than a decade and host our new VC Confidential show now on its 32nd episode. We are grateful for their long and continued support for our work. You can listen to all our episodes right here on WMR.FM and an Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you like to get your podcasts. I'm Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music, and we're so glad you joined us on VC Confidential. Till next week. Till next week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of webmasterradio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited.